Prodigy Gold is transitioning from Gold Explorer to Mine Developer. We are well-funded, located in stable eastern Canada. The Machino Gold Project has a robust production profile of 250,000 ounces a year, strong project economics with a $939 million NPV. Total gold production is projected to be over 2.6 million ounces with an estimated mine life of 11 years. Drilling is underway, and the scope of the project continues to grow. Please visit our website, www.prodigygold.com and read more. Prodigy Gold, today's discovery, tomorrow's future. Are you looking for a junior gold company that will give you upside exposure to major gold discovery potential, cash flow, and is located in a secure jurisdiction? Goldrich offers you a unique opportunity and controls almost the entire historic Chandelar Mining District, located in the prolific Ambler Schist Belt in Alaska. The company is applying modern-day techniques to explore the district that previously hosted four hard rock gold mines and various placer operations. Visit Goldrich on the web at www.goldrichmining.com or look us up under the ticker symbol GRMC. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Training Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable for the second hour. Uh, the second hour of today, our sponsors, uh, just got to just bear with me one second. Uh, the second hour of today, our sponsors are uh, Airway Energy. Uh, Clifton Star, Goldrich Mining Company, and Prodigy Gold. Thanks to those uh, companies for making this show economically viable, and thanks to Lou Lehrman for returning uh, with us on this side of the uh, the break. Uh, Ron Paul had to uh, to take care of some business uh, in Congress, and uh, we were just grateful that he could be with us. Um, before we went to uh, break, Lou, we talked a little bit. We were talking a little bit about the structure of the uh, of the Federal Reserve. Uh, or, I'm sorry, of a, of a a gold-backed system. How would we uh, how would we get there? Uh, and I think both you and Ron uh, had some ideas that were pretty much in sync. But uh, we had uh, Walker Todd on with us last week on this show, and Walker talked about um, he talked about some questions that need to be asked before we go back to, or before we move forward to a Fed. And one of the things he uh, he suggested needed to be addressed is whether or not we um, you know we need a central bank at all. Um, where do you come down on that one? So, um, in the abstract, um, there is no doubt but that a country with a free market and a sound uh, currency 
does not have to have a central bank. But that is an abstract proposition. What I would um, what I would uh, emphasize, as we were talking um, uh, just recently, Jay, is that mm-hmm. as a practical matter, the Federal Reserve System has been for 100 years a key, perhaps the central institution in our monetary and banking arrangements in the United States. And indeed, the Federal Reserve System has been the key to all of the world banking system for about the last 50 years. So that um, to, uh, to reform the monetary system, we, sh- we should not try to solve all problems at once. The succession, I think, that w- w- would be practical would be, first, Congress must execute its congressional authority under Article One, Sections 8 and 10, to define the gold value of the dollar. Um, there is no warrant in the Constitution for paper money. Indeed, the idea of uh, um, uh, the American government issuing paper money was anathema uh, to the founders, and they ruled it out. You can read the debates that led to the Constitution. Uh, there were those who wanted the Congress to be uh, to be able to print money, and it it was overruled in the Constitutional Convention. So, and basically, I think we're operating with a illegitimate uh, paper money system when you anchor your arguments where they should be anchored in the Constitution of the United States and the supreme law of the land. So step one is Congress defines the value of the dollar as a weight unit of gold, as, as it did in the Coinage Act of 1792, which persisted until 1971. The second step would be um, to... Uh, modify the Federal Reserve Act uh, um, uh, uh, legislative conditions to make sure that the Federal Reserve com- conformed its activities to maintaining the stability and the soundness of the dollar. That is to say, convertibility of all paper money and bank deposits to gold upon demand. And the third step would then be um, to abolish the legal tender laws such that, as Rana suggested, we could develop parallel currencies. Banks could issue notes. Um, uh, depositories could issue uh, gold certificates just so long as they conform to the law of the land. Namely, any issue of note or deposits must be convertible uh, on demand into the, uh, uh, the defined weight uh, of the dollar. Finally, um, we can privatize. Uh, Walker Todd, whom I know and I have a high regard for, makes a good point. We are then in a, in a position to privatize the 12 Federal Reserve Banks as clearinghouses, which are customary in the financial business. Uh, indeed, we, we have them. I've been in the, the business for 50 years, and there are clearinghouses for all kinds of uh, financial in- instruments. Indeed, they're now proposing one for derivatives. So the 12 Federal Reserve Boards become privatized, well-capitalized clearinghouses, and the one surviving institution which is congressionally mandated uh, according to the law of the Constitution is that the dollar is defined in law as a weight unit of gold. And that mm-hmm. is what gives rise to the stability of the dollar of the long run because the purchasing power of gold, as the great Roy Jastrom proved in his book on 400 years of the purchasing power of gold, it, re- had, it, it remains stable for centuries centuries in its, in its purchasing power. Mm-hmm. 
Well, those of us that uh, follow the gold mining industry understand why that is true. It is extremely difficult to uh, increase the money supply if the money supply is uh, is backed and uh, solely by gold. It leads me to a couple of other questions, though, uh, with respect. Uh, so then, uh, to a, a gold standard, the gold would be kept uh, stored or would be in the central bank. Would it? Would you then have the regional Federal Reserve branches perhaps holding gold as well? Uh, it could be done either of those two ways, uh, but it does not have to be. The gold does not have to be stored in uh, either the central bank or in the regional banks alone. It could also be stored in a separate depository. So that, for example, when you and I go to our bank and mm-hmm. we want to convert our bank deposits, our checking account deposits, or bank notes or currency notes that we're handling for gold, we we deliver the money, the, the, the so to speak, the currency, the paper currency, mm-hmm. or the deposit checks, and from depositories like the Treasury, uh, the, that currency is then delivered, and the gold, the gold retrieved from the depository and delivered to uh, its rightful owner who who seeks conversion on demand. Mm-hmm. So that where the gold is stored is a prudential question, mm-hmm. as well as a question of what is the most efficient and, and, and effective way? My sense is that the more decentralized the holdings of gold, the better. Mm-hmm. That would include uh, individual banks, if they wish, mm-hmm. to hold a certain sure. gold reserve, so that when customers appeared at their, do- uh, at their door and went to the teller window, uh, so, so to speak, and they wanted to convert uh, 5,000 uh, checking account deposit dollars into gold, that the gold coins could be delivered uh, promptly. Mm-hmm. Now, um, it, it, it so leads to one point, Jay, if I may make it uh, uh, quickly. In a, in a true gold standard, um, there is very little demand for gold. People do mm-hmm. not want to lug around gold coins to make payments. Exactly. They, they want to hold the convenience of paper currency or the convenience of checking accounts or the convenience of credit cards or debit cards, uh, rather than to make payments in uh, gold coins or silver coins. So that the, the, the presumption is that the true gold standard having been established, no gold exchange standard, no reserve currency standard, a true gold standard not unlike the classical gold standard uh, from 1879 to 1914, there would be very, very little demand for gold. Mm-hmm. Well, because people have the confidence that it is there if they need it, uh, but they're not going to they're not going to carry it or lug it around if they don't need to. So it's it's a check against the system, isn't it? Well, it's that, and I, if I may, it's more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the banknotes, all the checking account deposits, derive their value from the fact that they are representatives of the gold that that person implicitly owns by using convertible paper or checking account deposits to his convenience, so that uh, the the confidence is gained because everyone knows that the banknotes or the checking account deposits are themselves rightful claims on demand for the gold which it represents. Um, Which leads me to another question then in terms of uh, whether we should have fractional reserve banking under a gold standard or not. Uh, could the banks start to cheat as they have in the past? I, mean, I don't know if that's the right word. Banks like to make money, so they'll uh, realizing that not many people would demand the gold. They decide that they will start to make multiple loans against that gold that's that's uh, that's in the vaults. Uh, 
So would you advocate uh, 100% backing, or would you allow the banks to have uh, fractional reserve banking under a gold system? Uh, I think that the most effective way under a free market system, or if you will, a free uh, banking system, a free monetary order, is to permit uh, fractional reserve banking mm-hmm. under certain very well-defined and stipulated conditions. For example, all banks would be required to have as the counterpart of their deposits, which arise from fractional reserve banking, very liquid, secure instruments, which could be realized on the market for the same price at which they were purchased by the bank. Mm -hmm. So that there would be no doubt about the liquidity of the banks and uh, to redeem the demands of uh, their depositors. And that's one discipline, namely the assets of a bank would be um, sufficiently liquid in short-term secured commercial claims such that they could be sold on the market for the very price that they were purchased, unlike the crazy mortgages that the banks held in 2007, which when there was a demand for the money, they couldn't sell them because they were only worth about 10 cents on the dollar. If the bank's assets are properly chosen uh, for both liquidity and security and the ability to sell them for the price at which they were sold, the, deposits, the, the, the depositors are, are not at risk. That's mm-hmm. one very simple rule-based uh, foundation for a, a, a banking system. Mm-hmm. Not to, and there's also the the um, incidental aspect that banks would be free under the true gold standard to hold a certain amount of gold in order to be delivered uh, promptly to those uh, who demanded it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly if people had the confidence that that, that was the case, uh, it would be very important. But as we've seen with this fractional reserve banking system that we have now, without seemingly any kind of uh, regulations. Uh, uh, obviously, the banks have made so many bad loans that they became insolvent, and then they're asking the taxpayers to to bail them out. It seems uh, seems a crime. Uh, one of the one of the Jay, Jay yes. forgive me. That is the magic, if you will, or I should say the truth of the true gold standard. It it is a legal requirement of the banks. Uh, to redeem all the deposits and all the bank notes or the Federal Reserve notes in gold at the stipulated value of the uh, the value of the, of the monetary standard. Now, the question arises, what if they don't? We need to have an enforceable bankruptcy law, an enforceable bankruptcy law such that insolvent banks, unlike 2007 and 2008, do not get bailed out. They get mm-hmm. liquidated, and mm-hmm. the depositors are held harmless and the totality of the deposits of a insolvent bank um, are transferred to a liquid and well-run bank. And the losers for the banks are the executives who have enriched themselves with uh, too great compensation, as well as the stockholders and the bondholders. Sure. No, that's that's the way the system is supposed to work, of course, and uh, we've seen all kinds of exceptions to that. Uh, not only in the financial industry, but obviously in the automobile industry as well. Um, uh, one of the excuses that I hear, Lou, most often made by people that are quite naive, I would say, about this whole issue of a gold-backed currency is that we just simply don't have enough ounces of gold. We have too much money out there. It's not practical. There's no way it could ever be. 
it, it could ever be instituted. And my response always is, yeah, but a high enough gold price would certainly solve the problem. What, what, do you, what is your answer to people when they, when they use that excuse for not going forward to a gold standard? My answer is that Jay Taylor is exactly right. The value of any product in the market, the value of any article of wealth exchanged among human beings, is a function not only of its quantity, but of its price. It's price times quantity. So the question of a stable uh, monetary system based upon convertibility to gold is a function of choosing the convertibility price wisely and correctly. And that's, of course, what they, uh, what Ron said earlier happened in 1879. Nobody showed up to cl- uh, claim gold in the, in the resumption of mm-hmm. 1879. And in a properly executed uh, uh, reform of the monetary system where the true gold standard is reestablished, not a gold exchange standard, not an official reserve currency standard, the same thing would happen. Nobody would show up to, uh, uh, to ask for gold because they would much prefer the convenience of a, a dollar backed by gold at a convertibility price, which they know would be sustained for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, uh, certainly uh, the paper and nowadays, of course, just digital money uh, is, of course, where most of the money supply is in, uh, in, in digits and not in our wallets. But uh, So w- another question that I would have for you, Lou, is what, what you think about uh, the two, I think it's 261 million ounces that the U.S. Treasury is supposed to own, yet there has not been a, an audit of the, uh, of the U.S. gold supply since the Eisenhower administration. I think Ron has proposed that it be audited, that, that we um, you know, audit our gold supply. Groups like the Gold Antitrust Action Committee have suggested that maybe a lot of it isn't there, or if it is there, that it's been leased away to other countries. I know there have been swaps and leases and the like. Do you have any confidence that our Treasury has actually that 261 million ounces of gold that it, that it says it has uh, that would, I would, I would guess, be, be used to help back the currency? with gold if we were to move forward to a gold standard? Well, I, I, I share all the concerns which, which you and other colleagues have, have mentioned. Uh, I worked for uh, President Reagan for uh, three years. Mm-hmm. He used to say, trust but verify. So the very first thing that should be done, uh, as Ron Paul has suggested, and I know you embrace the idea too, is a comprehensive, detailed inventory of all the gold and where it is um, both as to amount and quality. For example, um, the gold at West Point, um, I believe to be substantially the gold which was melted down as a result of Roosevelt's expropriation um, of the gold held by private citizens mm-hmm. after 1934, whereas I think the gold in Fort Knox is of a, um, a pure form. But all of that is uh, speculation, at least on my part, And, as you say, we can satisfy all of these doubts by having an open uh, audit, uh, thoroughly made public uh, as a result of the audit. Mm -hmm. Well, I think most Americans aren't concerned about it. They don't even recognize yet the need to to have it there. Uh, You know, they've been, I think, dumbed down about this whole whole issue of gold and gold-backed currency. But it seems to me that if the gold is there, why not audit it? Why resist it? And I mean, of course, I think the Federal Reserve used the excuse that uh, measuring M3 was too expensive. It would have cost them all of a, of a couple million dollars a year to, to monitor or give us M3 numbers. 
so sometimes, uh, you know, to, to a lot of common people, a few million dollars sounds like a lot of money, but to, in the overall uh, context of the federal government, it's nothing. So, I mean, the, the excuse that it would be too expensive, or I don't know. What excuses they would use, it's hard to see why we wouldn't audit the, uh, why that shouldn't be audited. But this leads to still another question, um, you know, if the gold is not there, let's just say that some of it or it's not as much of it there, and the U.S. needs to, you know, say it's forced to go onto a gold standard, do you think there's some danger that uh, we might see what happened in the 1930s happen again, that is confiscation of gold? I mean, many of us on this show, people that listen to this show, have recognized the deterioration of the currency and have sought to protect our own financial well-being by buying money or buying gold, money, uh, that, that retains its its value over time, knowing that the currency is being debased. So do you see the potential for that kind of a situation, again, where our rights to our property, to our gold ownership, could be violated again? I, I, um, I'd I be a fool uh, to say it is not a possibility. I think mm-hmm. it is very uh, unlikely. Um, um and the reason being is that there are sufficient uh, there is sufficient op- in, in this in, in the in the House of Representatives especially, mm-hmm. but I also believe in the present Senate uh, to oppose any effort by uh, a president who had an attitude like uh, President Franklin Roosevelt to steal steal the money that properly belonged to its citizens. So yes, possibility. But I think less likely than it was in 1934. I must say that some of the attitudes of the incumbent president today are uh, not unlike those of Franklin Roosevelt. Still, the discipline of the House of Representatives um, and the Senate, um, in my opinion, makes it more unlikely. Mm-hmm. How? On what grounds was, uh, what constitutional grounds was Roosevelt's actions in 1930 taken? I mean, was there any constitutional basis for that? No. Uh, it gave rise to Supreme Court tests. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the Supreme Court quite improperly um, ruled in favor of Roosevelt's uh, Expropriation Act. And... Um, I mean, it's a long story, and there mm-hmm. have been outstanding scholarly books written on the subject. But in a word, uh, with 25% unemployment and war clouds rising in uh, Europe and isolationism uh, prevalent in the United States at the time, and the entire people terrified by hunger and poverty and joblessness, mm-hmm. Uh, there was a certain set of attitudes, do anything, do anything, just put us back to work, um, and, you know, save us. Yeah. Um, that doesn't justify an illegal act, because it certainly was that. And the fact that the Supreme Court ratified Roosevelt's decision uh, does not change the substance of the theft of, Amer- of Americans' uh, ownership of gold. Still, um, I uh, I don't believe under the present circumstances. Of course, it could get much worse. But under the present circumstances, such a thing is uh, I think such a thing is unlikely. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I know one of the arguments that I've heard against the likelihood of it happening again was that at that point in time, well, at least until, well, well, no, at that point in time, we needed gold backing to increase the money supply, and they wanted to increase the money supply at that time. Of course, we don't have any gold backing now, so that wouldn't be an excuse at this point in time. Well, um, it wasn't even then. You know, Roosevelt had two choices at that moment, and he was aware of it, uh, although I must say, he was never particularly interested in uh, logical or historically grounded arguments. What was it? One of his chief advisors said he had a, a first-class temperament and a third-class mind. Um, <laughs> but uh, Roosevelt could have, at that time, uh, doubled the price of gold and reformed some of the institutional arrangements that had developed during the 1920s and uh, reestablished a true gold standard. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't have to. He didn't have to say that the twenty dollar gold price is insufficient. I'm going to steal the American gold from the American people, and then I'm going to make it thirty five dollars, and all of the benefits are going to accrue to the government which wants to spend its money. He, there was the very practical alternative of taking the twenty dollar gold uh, price, which was uh, lower than the the level of inflation that had occurred during the First World War and reestablishing the gold price at, say, $40 and installing a true gold standard. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the political situation now, it seems to me that there are objections from Republicans against going back, uh, going forward to a gold standard. Uh, they would say that it might curtail our uh, our ability to defend ourselves and, and have a strong military and the uh, democrats this is of course uh, simplifying democrats would say well it's going to cut into our financing of our social programs so how how would you respond to those arguments well first uh i think we should only be spending the money that we earn and the tax money that is offered to the government voluntarily mm-hmm. uh, and by law mm-hmm. um, uh, to be spent. So whether you have the gold standard or whether you have any other monetary arrangement, there is there is no there is no argument based on sound money or sound budgetary policy to run a trillion and a half dollar budget deficit. Mm. Mm. Nor do I think that there is an argument even for running a trillion and a half dollar budget deficit to fight a war. You go to the American people and you say, look, uh, as Congress is, is authorized to do, and only Congress is authorized to do, and you say, we have a problem. We need to declare war, and we mm-hmm. have to pay for it, and we're going to have mm-hmm. to raise the taxes in order to pay for this war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. So then, I, what... I don't buy the argument that uh, because we have a welfare state, or because we need a strong national defense, we have to have a um, depreciating paper money system, which robs all the weakest people, that is to say those on fixed incomes and retirement incomes, mm-hmm. of their uh, savings made 10, 10, 20, and 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It would certainly uh, allow the American people to understand better than they do now what the costs uh, and benefits of these uh, programs, be they uh, welfare, uh, socialism at home, or uh, expansion, military expansion overseas, would allow them to see um, would allow them to see the costs and benefits uh, for the country as a whole. I suppose, precisely for sure. 
Exactly. And then what? Yeah, I'm sorry. No, I said it's exactly right, Jay. I have nothing to add. Yeah, and and it certainly seems to me, living through the uh, Vietnam period, that uh, Lyndon Johnson's socialism and Richard Nixon's uh, and the efforts uh, in Vietnam, that uh, that was one of the things that the politicians didn't want the American people to understand. Um, well, anyway, Lou, I think we're, we've got a couple more minutes here yet. I would just ask you, what, what would you suggest to the American people they do now at this point in time? I mean, here we got obviously problems i think i think it's obvious to everybody we're seeing the middle class being squeezed very dramatically uh their costs are going up the, the you know the common folks the average people their salaries are not keeping up with the cost of uh, food and um, and living in general food and energy and and whatever um what should people be doing right now i know it's a general question everybody's different so some people should be doing things differently than others but i I mean, I'm telling my subscribers, stay out of debt, uh, raise some cash if you can, own some gold. Uh, what, what generally would you suggest to people they do? Well, that is certainly uh, necessary and sufficient, the advice you've given them. Um, get out of debt as quickly as one possibly can. Hold, as you say, cash and some gold. And do not invest in anything which you do not understand. Mm-hmm. Now, that is the way we protect our our person as well as our families. From the standpoint of how we protect our country as American citizens, uh, I would recommend that to uh, your listeners that they embrace the idea of sound money, that they reject the idea that it is too difficult or we cannot go forward to a modernized gold standard that it is simpler and more doable than the, the, all the elites and the academic economists and the bureaucrats at the Federal Reserve want us to believe. And if, uh, may I put in a plug for my book? It's a very short book. I made it short. Uh, it's called The True, Go- True Gold Standard, How We Get From Here to There. It's 100 pages, and it's a pretty quick read, and everybody can decide for themselves then whether it is as doable and simple once we've developed the uh, american leadership that desires it as i do Mm -hmm. well i think uh, a great number of americans if not the majority of americans would would if they understood it uh think that we should go forward to a gold standard as well lou is there anything how can people follow your organization and what you're doing and they can buy that book and i strongly recommend that our listeners do that but is there do you have a website is there an organization that Thank you, Jay. I should have thought of it. Um, we, yeah, we have a large organization. It's a national organization. And um, our website, which organizes all the information, articles, and uh, daily news on the subject, is called thegoldstandardnow.org. Thegoldstandardnow.org. That website archives um, and blogs all of the important material on the international and the domestic uh, monetary and economic system, which, are, which is relevant directly or indirectly to the, well, to use your phrase, going forward to a modernized gold standard. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And do you make uh, personal appearances sometimes, make speeches at various places? I do. And uh, that would be also noted there on that website, I suppose, some of them anyway? Yes. In fact, we, we, we give the date and the time. For example, I've got an appearance on 
Lou Dobbs uh, uh, on Fox coming up. I forget the date, but it's on the website. Oh, wonderful. That is really good news. That's really, really good news. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Lehrman, for being with us. It's always good to have you. Sorry we couldn't have kept Ron around a little longer, but at least the two of you got to talk to each other a bit. And, um, well, we're I think most of the people that listen to this show are pulling for you and Ron and and uh, because I think they want to go back to an honest monetary system that rewards work, savings, thrift, uh, ingenuity, um, and uh, and doesn't particularly reward people who uh, who don't practice those virtues. Thank you very much, uh, Lewis, and once again for being with us. Uh, we hope to have you back again sometime in the not too distant future. Thank you very much, Jay. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with some more thoughts on the markets uh, on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, 
Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Uh, I am uh, alone with you. I do not have a guest for this uh, time period, so if there's uh, questions that you might have or ideas or responses to the interview that we just did with Ron Paul and Lou Lehrman, feel free to call in and uh, we can discuss them uh, if you like. Uh, the vast majority of people who do listen to this show listen on downloads, but we do have a fair number of you out there listening to this show live. So if you'd like to call and raise some issues, um, you know, either uh, pro or con, what the congressman and uh, Lou Lehrman had to say, please call in. That toll-free number is one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. Call in with any questions or comments, or if you'd like to talk about the markets, that would be fine too. Uh, I will go on here with some of my thoughts about uh, about the conversation we had with Ron and Lou. Uh, I think that uh, clearly, certainly, those of you who listen to the show on a regular basis know that I am uh, I am a believer that we need to go back to a sound monetary system because the system that we have now has really allowed those that are control uh, of the system, the banking system, and the politicians to essentially engage in what is nothing less than robbery. They have robbed the wealth of the people that uh, that produce and create wealth, the miners, the manufacturers, the inventors, the farmers, uh, people that do things for other people, that create things of value for other people, are not really getting their fair share. And that would you know, certainly that is true of the middle class. We're seeing a, a decline in the middle class, as Walker Todd said last, uh, last week. It was like from the mid-60s to the early 70s was the high... The high period for the uh, for America's middle class, and since that time, and I think not coincidentally, in 1971 when Nixon took us off the international gold standard, we started to see a real big, rapid, and now accelerating uh, move of wealth from the middle class to the to the wealthy uh, to the wealthier to the bankers. Actually, more so the bankers um, and the uh, and the government, which continues to take a bigger and bigger share. Of, uh, of the wealth. And, you know, what do bankers and government do? Well, certainly there's some value that, that government workers provide. I don't mean to demean that, uh, but so much of what goes on now uh, on the national level, especially, is uh, engaging uh, bureaucracies and um, uh, lots of layers and layers of bureaucracy and, and creating jobs, but not necessarily uh, giving all that much help sometimes to the people that are intended to be, to be helped. Um, the whole idea of malinvestment, which is a an Austrian concept, the Keynesians don't get it at all. Um, uh, I think really is a byproduct of fiat money because when you don't have any restrictions on the amount of money that can be created out of thin air, then you don't really uh, have any restrictions in terms of how it's lent. So we saw the dot com bubble followed by the even bigger housing bubble. Created and with that, uh, what the Austrians call malinvestment, because you have so much money pumped into the economy, forced out into the economy, it cannot be allocated efficiently. And bankers are looking to make more profits all the time. So if they're flush with cash, thanks to the Federal Reserve and the U.S. government, then they need to maximize their profits. And if they just sit with cash, they don't do that. Um, and so they lend out foolishly until we've reached the point where the uh, the debtors can no longer take on more debt, uh, and that's where I think we're at right now. The uh, Federal Reserve cannot really get things going by pumping money into the system. Indeed, the banks are even paid to hold a certain amount of money 
uh, as reserves because I think the, the Federal Reserve and the banks themselves understand that uh, there are so many bad loans out there on the books yet that haven't been recognized that uh, that that the banking system in the United States is still in not very good shape. Uh, and so uh, they're having a hard time getting things uh, moving again in the economy, much as the 1930s. And it was Walker Todd last week who suggested the only real way given the mess we're in, to get things moving again would be for the federal government to come in and do what it did in World War II, and that would be to provide a, a massive um, uh, guarantee, a loan guarantee to banks. Uh, then the banks will start to lend again because they're, they're just not willing to take on the risk that's out there with, uh, with an over-indebted system. Too many people uh, live beyond their means for too long and now can't, cannot pay back uh, what they owe. Well, what does this uh, all have to do then with uh, with how we arrange our finances? That's really the question that we want to ask. Um, there's issues also of dishonest money that lead to uh, lead to excessive foreign wars. I believe Ron, Ron Paul and Lou Lerman both would agree with that, and I think they did, in fact, uh, in our discussion a little while ago. What uh, and then, uh, as some other observers have noted in time, that uh, nations that go uh, warmongering around the world soon turn on their own people. Indeed, we see now uh, the President of the United States deciding that he can decide who who should be assassinated uh, on the basis of uh, if he believes they are a threat to the United States without any trial, American or not. No trial, just uh, just just pick them off and and get them out of the system. So this is not the America that was uh, that the founding fathers had in mind when they uh, engaged in the Revolutionary War in 1776. It seems to me. If anything, and you start to look at some of the people we've had on this show who've talked about what happens, um, what has happened, and, and where the real ruling elite is coming from, it certainly doesn't seem to be the people anymore. It seems to be the corporate interests that have the ear of the congressman to a great extent. Uh, and, um, and that means that uh, we are now back at the point where we were before the revolution, and that is, uh, and that is why I think we've had a second Tea Party second tea party born because we have um, we have taxation without representation once again this is uh, I think what what took place uh, and what caused um, people to become very angry back uh, prior to 1776 and the revolution and uh, the other thing uh, the Declaration of Independence that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Actually, as I understand it, initially it was the pursuit of property, and then it was changed to happiness, uh, the two being synonymous in, in the minds of many. If you have your property taken away from you, if you do not have uh, the ability to, to keep uh, the fruits of your labor, uh, at some point in time it begins to impinge in your, your liberty, for sure, and ultimately your life, if you think about it. So we have a, a government that is becoming increasingly desperate uh, because the financial situation is increasingly desperate. We see uh, huge trillion-dollar deficits a year that have resulted, and as both Ron and Lou pointed out, if we'd stayed on an honest monetary system, we wouldn't be in this mess. On the other hand, I recall uh, talking to Robert Prechter about this issue and asked him what if Nixon had, uh, had not taken us off the international gold standard, would we still have the same problems? And Mr. Prechter's response was, yes, but the, uh, Mr. Nixon had no choice. His, his argument was that the forces, the social uh, forces 
uh, and the moods of, of the masses were were so strong against the discipline of the gold standard that uh, Mr. Nixon really had no choice uh, if he wanted to remain president, I suppose, uh, was the alternative not to remain president. We all know from Mr. Nixon's behavior that he liked that job very, very much. Um, we, uh, we, how does all this then affect the uh, how we invest our money? And uh, Lou Lehrman got to uh, talk about that briefly, just a, a little bit, and sort of in general agreed with my view that you should stay out of debt and that you should um, uh, that, that you should probably own some gold and build some cash and all of that. Certainly, another thing I know that Ron Paul has suggested on this show in the past was learn a trade, learn how to do things, so that you can be. Uh, have practical services and products that offer to other people. Certainly if the system breaks down, uh, people that uh, can do things that are necessary uh, become very, very valuable. And those of us that have been um, doing things uh, in the service sector, the economy might not be as valuable if those services can no longer be afforded. More and more people will go back to doing things they they have to do uh, just to stay alive. Uh, my engineer is telling me we have a couple of break, a couple of minutes to the break. Uh, I just want to say that uh, from here at the gold at the conference here in Vancouver, where I am, I've just finished attending and participating in. Uh, I saw a number of very very interesting companies. I'm going to be talking about some really interesting, uh, I think very very undervalued companies um, uh, on my in my newsletter. Uh, and uh, we we certainly heard from Clifton Star earlier today. Uh, Clifton Star to me. Uh, at a dollar eleven or so, with only 35 million shares of stock outstanding, is a very attractive uh, stock. And in fact, I purchased some this morning before I went on the air. It's been a recommendation in my newsletter for some time. Uh, but uh, it is a company with uh, four to five billion ounces of gold, much of uh, two and a half million of which are open pitable. Looks like the economics should be very, very superb. Um, and um, you know there are a growing number of those companies that is now uh, that really have I think that are very very under, uh, undervalued with huge and attractive projects. Uh, I should mention also, and I don't think that I did with respect to Clifton Stars, they have a good amount of cash on their books uh, right now too, which is very important in this uh, very difficult market to raise money. They also have a very strong management team. Um, we're going to go to a commercial break now uh, in just a, a minute or so. When we come back, I want to talk about some more ideas that I have uh, in the investing area, things uh, I think that you might want to consider doing. The big question is now, uh, are we near the bottom? Have we seen the bottom uh, in the uh, junior gold space? And my sense is that we probably have not, or at least I want to see the current bottom tested a little bit longer before we uh, before we determine whether we want to become more aggressive buyers of uh, of gold mining companies, and then if we do want to buy gold mining companies, which ones and what kind of companies do we want to focus on most? And we do have to go to a commercial break, and when we come back, I'll I'll be right back with some more ideas about investing at this point in time. Don't go away. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. 
the company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. We have just a few minutes left. I want to make some more comments about uh, gold mining companies in particular and remind you again the reason I am championing gold mining companies is because I do believe this is a gold mining bull market of a lifetime. I'll uh, never see anything quite like this. In the 1970s, we had a nice little run, but it was it was a midget compared to this one. The real price of gold has risen, as I point out time and time again on this show and in my newsletter, very dramatically since the credit crisis got underway with, with uh, in a big way with the Lehman Brothers' decline. And we're seeing the real price of gold reach a new high as measured against the Rogers Raw Materials Fund. The gold uh, announced gold buying 49.5% of the fund as opposed to 17% only before Lehman Brothers. And this is consistent with history, according to Bob Hoy. Whenever we have these major catastrophic ex, uh, contractions, credit contractions, you see the real price of gold rising because the markets are demanding gold as money, gold sits in vaults. It isn't used in industry. It sits in vaults. It's not even used that much in jewelry. So it's gold in vaults that drive prices higher because people lose confidence in the currency. Certainly that's happening. So let's take a look at the kinds of companies that are minting money, minting the money that the markets are demanding, not the money, the kind of money that we're forced to use at the point of a gun by government. So uh, what kind of companies do we want to own? Well, I do think that we could still see some downward pressure in the junior gold sector. That's my big concern right now. So I'm looking at companies that have cash flow, that can, uh, that can grow organically, that have great upside exploration and p- uh, potential, uh, and, can, and can grow earnings very dramatically and not have to go back and raise equity time and time again and dilute shareholder interest. So... Uh, on the list of companies that I follow, there's uh, companies like Oceana Gold, which is a company in New Zealand that will produce 250,000 ounces or so this year, um, and moving uh, uh, or, or by next year, 250 to 300, actually about 300, 350,000 ounces uh, next year once it gets its um, uh, its Philippine copper and gold project. Uh, into operation at that point in time they'll produce in the philippines uh, around 100,000 ounces of gold uh at less than um uh at, at less than actually at negative $79 when you take in the 
uh, the price of uh, the value of the copper that comes with the gold. That will take their overall production cost uh, down to around 600 or five or six hundred dollars in that range, um, and they'll be producing 300, 350,000 ounces a year. That's one of the companies I think is most undervalued uh, on my list. Another one is Petechelia Minerals. Petechelia Minerals is a company that uh, produced about 100,000 ounces this year from, the, um, uh, from Panama, but it will increase that production going forward then next year uh, as it starts to drop ship some very high-grade metal from, uh, or I should say from Spain, put it on a ship and process it through its Panamanian uh, uh, milling facility. Uh, just a company I think is at 40 cents, very, very undervalued. It's producing a nice little profit now, but those profits should grow very dramatically. Another company I like a whole lot is Dynacor Gold Mines. DNG is a symbol uh, on the Toronto Exchange, DNGDF in the U.S., and this is a stock that's selling at around 70 cents or so. And um, and somebody is bothering me here. I don't know how to handle it. Just a minute. Um so, so Dynacor is selling at around 60 cents or so. It's earning very nice profits, and um, and uh, and, and uh, it's another company that I like a lot. Um, uh, so there's a number of sand gold being another one. SGR on the Toronto Exchange uh, is also producing uh, producing uh, growing profits, and I think uh, will increase their production very very dramatically. Of course, I one company that I uh, named as my top pick this year was uh, was uh, sand gold, not sand gold, uh, sandstorm, sandstorm gold, uh, which is a um, a company that uh, provides um, what what is referred to as a streaming uh, a streaming uh, model, a streaming company. What it does is provides uh, capital to start up gold mines, and then has the ability to buy uh, X percent of that gold mine's production for its life. Uh, at the the cost of production, and this becomes very very uh, positive as these are companies uh, that have great growth prospects. So they'll continue to buy, say, ten twenty percent of a of a mine's production at the cost of production at the time feasibility study is done. We're seeing very dramatic growth in earnings of um, of Sandstorm Gold, very much like uh, that of Silver Wheat. In fact, the people that are running Sandstorm. Uh, we're the same management team that put together uh, Silver Wheaton, a very, very successful company. Uh, we, uh, project generators are another class of companies that I like very much. And here, uh, Eurasian Minerals uh, would be a favorite, uh, and uh, certainly river, uh, Riverside uh, Resources would also be a favorite of mine. These are companies that do not have to go back to the markets and uh, issue endless numbers of shares to raise capital to stay alive. So uh, there are ways, I think, that we want to be cautious. I'm uh, becoming a little more optimistic that we could have seen the bottom in the gold share market. If that's the case, there are some very, very tempting values out there. I'm watching them very carefully. I'm getting very excited about the gold sector and the possibilities there. If you followed my advice and, and put some cash away and sold out a little, uh, a little higher in the market, then you're going to be, be in a good position to start buying some shares at very at very low prices. Uh, my engineer is telling me that we are just about out of time this week. Um, really, it's been a great show with uh, with Lou Lehrman and Ron Paul with us, also uh, being able to talk to uh, Clifton Starr with Michelle Bouchard. Certainly a very interesting story. Next week, uh, we're going to have Dennis Marker. He's the author of a book titled 15 Steps to Corporate Feudalism. Also joining me after Dennis, uh, I'm going to have my friend Jeff Deist, 
and Glenn Downs, uh, Jeff is Ron Paul's chief of staff, and Glenn Downs is the chief of staff of Con- Congressman Walter Jones from South Carolina. So next week should also be a good show. I hope you'll join us uh, again next week. I want to thank Tacey Trump, my uh, executive producer, and Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making the show uh, logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Till next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.